welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hi, my name is Laura Cease and I'm an integrated CT surgery resident at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Today, it is my pleasure to be speaking with Dr. Victor Morrell from the Ch- Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh regarding his thoughts on the evaluation, preoperative workup, intraoperative strategies, and postoperative management of patients with atrial septal defects and partial anomalous pulmonary venous return. Dr. Morrell is the Chief of Pediatric Cardiothoracic Surgery at CHP, and he is also the Eugene Wiener Endowed Chair in Pediatric Cardiothoracic Surgery. So, Dr. Morrell, for our first case, you have a four-month-old female who initially presents to your office after being referred from cardiology. Her pediatrician had previously seen her and noted her to have a diastolic murmur. Based on this clinical scenario, how would you proceed with your exam and your workup? Well, hi, Laura. Uh, It's it's, uh, important when you uh, are working up patient uh, with supposedly congenital heart disease, uh, you know, one of the first things I do is first of all is look at them and initially try to figure out are they cyanotic or not. So my first uh, question on interest on on this patient would be uh, what are his saturations? I would look at the sheet that somebody would probably provide me with his saturations and, and document either cyanosis or, or full, fully saturated. Uh, so I would imagine in somebody uh, with uh, an AST and partial veins that they're gonna be fully saturated. So I would expect the patient to be nice and pink. I'll be, I will tell you that at four months, likely this is a patient who's completely asymptomatic except for his murmur. So I wouldn't necessarily expect many positive findings on a physical exam short of the cardiac examination in which you will have a split, you know, second heart sound. Uh, you will have a diastolic murmur. Uh, but short of that, I'm not sure I would, uh, I would expect anything else. Okay. So at that time, you find a fully saturated and otherwise healthy four-month-old. Is there anything else that you would want to order to work up the murmur? So, um, you know, initially, uh, for a four-month-old, otherwise asymptomatic, I think that uh, clearly an echocardiogram uh, will be indicated uh, to uh, clearly assess the anatomy. So certainly this patient uh, will get a, likely an x-ray and a transthoracic echocardiogram probably an EKG also because you want to look at the uh, you know EKG the morphology and make sure for example this patient doesn't have a uh, a, a partial canal or sort of type of uh, AV septal defect in which an EKG might be helpful for diagnosis so at this point you get your chest x-ray and the chest x-ray um, shows some mild cardiomegaly but no real um, pulmonary edema on your transthoracic echocardiogram, you have an 8 millimeter atrial septal defect that's located at the superior aspect of the septum near the SVC. Um, and there is no ventricular dilation at that time. Okay, well, um, 
initially, clearly this patient has a congenital heart defect. Um, so you can see the ASD uh, sitting uh, just uh, close to the entrance of the superior vena cava. Uh, for me, I think it's important to document uh, the presence or absence of partial veins. Uh, usually an echocardiogram uh, can uh, show you that. Uh, if not, uh, certainly an MRI will be uh, indicated to make sure that we either rule out uh, the presence of uh, partial veins in, in somebody with uh, sinus venosus atrial septal defect, it's likely that they're going to have uh, partial veins, so it's important to document. With that said, at the age of four months and otherwise asymptomatic with no significant right ventricular dilatation, I would not uh, necessarily recommend surgery at this time. I think this patient could certainly wait, go home, and then come back between the ages of you know, one year uh, plus and have this uh, then repair at that time. So the patient comes back at the age of two and a half years and when she returns she has an MRI that re-demonstrates the sinus venosus ASD and there is also uh, PAPVR with multiple right-sided anomalous pulmonary veins draining into the SVC. Okay, so that's really important to know because you know you might the, the veins draining into the superior vena cava, their location, their number is going to influence your surgical technique. In somebody like this, uh, at two and a half years of age. Clearly with this diagnosis, I'm sure that the patient by this time has significant right ventricular dilatation. It's a perfect candidate for and, and has indications to proceed with surgical repair. So I would in this patient I would say when he needs to go to the OR, let's let's uh, let's fix uh, this condition. Um, you know, pre-op workup, it's just like any other uh, for cardiac surgery. We already have the MRI, we would likely uh, uh, repeat an echo. Uh, get the blood work, chest x-ray, and make sure there's no other uh, uh, you know, issues going on with this patient, and then we would just schedule surgery, usually within the next you know, few weeks to few months, depending on the family's uh, uh, schedule. So the patient goes through all of his preoperative workup, and you're now in the operating room prepped and draped. Could you walk us through the important technical steps and the operation that you have planned? Sure. So for me, it's very important uh, every time I'm gonna operate in somebody with a sinus venosus is uh, the dissection of the superior vena cava. Uh, the SVC needs to be completely dissected up to the innominate vein. The, we have documentation that this patient has multiple veins, so we're gonna have to identify these veins. You also have to identify the uh, asagus vein because clearly the asagus is not a pulmonary vein, but it, it could be confused with one of them. So usually the asagus goes ex posterior, as opposed to the pulmonary veins that come somewhat uh, lateral uh, and somewhat horizontal into the superior vena cava. You can also usually just see red blood coming through those veins into the SVC, uh, and it's also a helpful uh, sign, but you just have to be very careful with the dissection and identifying all the vein straining. In somebody with multiple uh, uh, veins straining into the superior vena cava, 
likely this is a patient that's going to require a warden procedure. And the warden procedure, basically, you uh, transect the superior vena cava and leave that proximal stump of SVC where all the veins come into, in essence, as a large pulmonary vein. And then when through the uh, right atrium, you basically close the mouth of the superior vena cava into the, via, into the atrial septal defect. So basically the veins drain directly into the superior vena cava and the superior vena cava then drains through the ASD into the left atrium. And that's in essence the warden procedure. Clearly you have to then figure out how to connect the distal stop of the superior vena cava into uh, the uh, right atrium. And I think most commonly, uh, most surgeons was, would use the right atrial appendage and they will just bring it uh, all the way up. In these patients, they usually have cardiomegaly, a very dilated right atrium. So you usually have enough uh, atrium to bring it up to the superior vena cava and in essence do a, 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 an anastomosis there. Occasionally, I would, if you can't get it to come together, occasionally you have to use uh, some type of interposition graft. Uh, that doesn't happen often, but it could happen. Certainly, on an uh, adult patient with this disease process, you can certainly use a, a Gore-Tex tube or some type of a conduit to connect the superior vena cava to the right atrium. Um, clearly, uh, the most important, uh, I think, surgical uh, cannulation aspect is that you need to cannulate the superior vena cava very, very proximally and or just cannulate the innominate vein. And that way the SVC is, is free to, to basically, you can do whatever you want with the SVC, okay? So cannulation, dissection of the SVC and cannulating as high as possible on the SVC or the innominate vein are clearly very important uh, surgical uh, issues when you're doing this operation. Okay. During the repair, are there any potential complications that you're attempting to avoid? So clearly, um, you want to avoid superior vena cava obstruction and pulmonary venous obstruction. When you do a warden procedure, I think it's, it's quite difficult to obstruct the pulmonary veins since they just drain into that proximal stump of the superior vena cava and you basically are patching the mouth of the superior vena cava to the ASD. So uh, I rarely, if ever, had seen pulmonary venous obstruction uh, with uh, this specific procedure. Um, you know, when you do your anastomosis between the SVC and the right atrium, it could be at times challenging, and certainly uh, superior vena cava obstruction of some sort could be uh, an issue in these patients. So the surgery went uneventfully and your patients transferred to the ICU in stable condition. What's your expected post-operative course? And are there any complications that you've seen with these patients that you attempt to avoid? So, I mean, in honesty, this is a relatively straightforward procedure. Uh, um, you know, the post-op course should be relatively uh, uneventful. The patients should be in the hospital about three to four days. Uh, again, you want to have a, a, a discharge echo which documents a patent pulmonary venous drainage into the left atrium of those anomalous veins and that document uh, unobstructed superior vena cava. 
Perfect. So we'll move on to our next case. Our next case is a two-year-old female who's in the 35th percentile for her height and her weight. And she was noted by her pediatrician to have a fixed split second heart sound on her exam. The pediatrician then referred her to your office for evaluation. Based on the clinical scenario, how would you proceed with your workup? So again, this is this is somewhat similar to our previous scenario, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'll be uh, very honest, I mean, the majority of these patients are seen by cardiology before they come to us. So as surgeons, we usually already have a diagnosis and, mm -hmm. and an echo and an x-ray uh, for us to review. But uh, with that said, again, you want to identify the defect so you you're going to need an x-ray you're going to need an echo and and so that you can document cardiomegaly or no cardiomegaly pulmonary edema uh, increased pulmonary vascular markings and uh, the echo uh, should uh, provide you with a diagnosis so the patient has a chest x-ray which shows cardiomegaly with some moderate pulmonary edema she also has a transthoracic echocardiogram which shows a 40 millimeter secundum asd with no pulmonary hypertension and a qp to qs of 1.9 to 1. okay so you know secundum asd is a little different than a sinusinosis asd a secundum asd you usually don't have to be concerned about partial anomalous pulmonary venous return. So, um, you know, this is a patient that uh, with uh, right ventricular volume overload has an indication for surgery. And uh, this patient should be scheduled for surgery in the next, you know, few weeks to few months. So the patient is scheduled for surgery and undergoes um, further preoperative workup, which is unremarkable. And so now you're prepped and draped in the operating room. Can you walk us through the important technical steps of your planned operation? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, secundum septal defect in my eyes is somewhat of the simplest intracardiac repair you can, you can do. Um, usually you're gonna do, or not usually, but you're gonna need to do a bicaval cannulation. Um, cardioplegia and they send in the aorta. Uh, cross clamp, open the right atrium, look at the look at the interatrial septum in the region of the fossa ovalis. Uh, I most surgeons would not put any type of drain or LV vent in the left side of the heart. So uh, in in my uh, experience, I usually uh, allow sort of blood to sit in the left atrium, and at times it might affect your ability to clearly visualize the margins of the ASD, but it's very doable uh, and, and, you know, avoiding getting air into the left side of the heart. Uh, if the defect is big, circular, usually it's not a type of defect that uh, allows itself to primary closure. So mm -hmm. I would use a patch of pericardium and just fresh pericardium uh, from the patient and Basically, you suture it in place, usually with either a 5 or a 4 o proline suture. I usually just run uh, the, the suture. Uh, I do a place, uh, once the suture line is completed, I place interrupted uh, sutures throughout uh, to hopefully uh, prevent any uh, uh, dislodgement uh, of the patch in the event of the suture uh, breaking. Uh, I've seen, seen that before, not in, in my own experience, but from, from other surgeons. So, um, 
you always want to de-air the left atrium before the suture line is completed. So I usually de-air, uh, I leave uh, my last few stitches are usually in the most uh, superior aspect of the defect so that I can de-air through there. Through there, you know, the air should, should all go to the most anterior superior aspect of the, of the left atrium. So I usually ask uh, the anesthesiologist to ventilate a few times. I usually put a little bit of saline in the right atrium and just basically uh, allow uh, the left atrium to de-air the suture, uh, uh, tie my knots on that suture line. Um, and it should be a relatively straightforward, uh, simple operation. Excellent. So the surgery is as planned, straightforward and uneventful, and your patient goes to the ICU. What's your expected post-operative course? For, uh, for a patient like this, honestly, it should be three to four days again. Uh, you know, there's really not much to worry about except bleeding, uh, just like in any other uh, cardiac patient. I, I, I should mention that, you know, every time I do an ASD, uh, my biggest concern is stroke. So I think as surgeons, we have to be extremely anal about preventing air from entering the left side of the heart. So I will tell you that intra-op, uh, I always ask uh, the cardiologist or the anesthesiologist to look with, our, with the TEE and I want to document the presence or absence of any air bubbles in the left ventricle, and I want to make sure I de-air that before I left the heart eject. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.